This is OTR Rob. <laughs> Welcoming you to the Fibber McGee and Molly Black of Shows and Fibber and Molly. This episode is from March 4th, 1947. The episode is entitled Bad Mail Service. And instead of just normally writing down the shows for you, I thought I would talk a little bit about Beverly McGee and Molly. And I was going to talk about Jean Carroll. Now, Jean Carroll is played by a, is a male actor portraying yet again another maid for the McGees. And before that, it was Beulah, played by Marlon Hurt, who was also a man portraying a black woman. I don't know why they decided to go that route with the second maid, known as Lena, using a male actor to uh, to portray their maid. But I think maybe they wanted an audience reaction. And I don't even really call recall how... Lena actually came onto the show, whether or not she knocked on the door and was trying to borrow some sugar for another family she was working for. Not really sure how she got put into the show. It only lasted one season this season, and she was never to return to again and never referred to again. Very odd how that happens. But anyway... So enjoy Lena, played by Jean Carroll, and I don't have any information on Jean Carroll at all. I looked up Wikipedia, I couldn't find anything on Jean Carroll, and uh, just an itinerant, a radio actor that they happened to see, or maybe had portrayed um, a Lena-type character in another show, or maybe in the club that uh, the uh, Marion and Jim Jordan saw. I'm not sure how they found her, but uh, or found him, but she got me doing it anyway. <laughs> but anyway, so that's enough of that. And then after that, we have our Miss Brooks from January 31st, 1954. The episode, strangely enough, is entitled Four Fiancés. Now, fiancés is neither male nor female. It's just a reference to a would-be, soon-to-be married partner. And then <laughs> after that is You Bet Your Life from October 4th, 1950. And once again, the secret word is wall. Now, they would repeat a number of these secret words throughout the run of You Bet Your Life. 
And I guess they would, they just would go by a, a tight list and bring up these, uh, off the wall, uh, secret word things. So anyway, the secret word is wall. Enjoy all of these and I'll see you all back here real soon. Take care. And also I have a programming note for everyone in case you didn't know it. We're moving from Podomatic to Anchor Radio and Spotify. We'll be on Spotify. And the following shows you can find on Spotify are the Jack Benny Show OTR Podcast, the Judy Garland and Friends OTR Podcast, Strange New Worlds of Dimension X-1, the Jack Benny TV Program Podcast, the Mad Marvel Mayhem Podcast, and the Rod Serling Podcast will all be on Spotify. And you can still donate uh, to uh, with Podomatic for a while. And there are monthly donations through Patreon. Just go to, to the link in Patreon and donate. And also, if you happen to have TuneIn, we still will be appearing on TuneIn Radio. So you can listen to all of those shows that I mentioned. And I'll go all over the list again. And that is Jack Benny Show, OTR Podcasts. The Judy Garland and Friends, OTR Podcasts. Strange New Worlds of Dimension X-1 and Jack Benny TV Program Podcast, Mad Marvel Mayhem Podcast, and the Rod Serling Podcast, all on Spotify. So head over there, or just stick tight if you have TuneIn, because we'll still be on TuneIn. So now, enjoy the show. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Gene Carroll, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. Every now and again, I hear of a housewife who uses Johnson's Wax only to polish her floors. Now, I hope you're not like that, because wax can add rich beauty to your home in a hundred other places besides floors. Take your dining room table, say. Rub a little Johnson's Wax on it, then polish it. Believe me, you'll say your table has never looked more beautiful. The finish will really glow and sparkle, and the grain of the wood will show up clear and lovely. When you've seen how your table gleams, there are many other things you'll want to polish with Johnson's Wax. Your radio, sideboard, leather goods, and Venetian blinds. Johnson's Wax gives them all such a wonderful richness, such a smooth, mellow luster. And this hard wax finish is so easy to dust. So, by all means, polish your floors with Johnson's Wax, but also use it to beautify and protect the rest of your home. Ask your dealer for Johnson's Paste or Liquid Wax. (laughs) 
79 Wistful Vista today, the topic under discussion is the mail delivery. The head of the household thinks the postal service is beyond reproach, but her husband thinks otherwise. Listen to him expressing his opinion in his shy, quiet way as we meet Fibber McGee and Molly. And furthermore, I say, I say they ought to take the post office department out of the civil service. It ain't civil and they don't give you any service. Oh, I don't know, dearie. I think the mail is very well handled. Oh, you do. Then where's my personal mail? Nothing but bills, bills, bills. We get so many window envelopes, I'm getting to feel like a peeping Tom. <laughs> what do you expect the mailman to do, Pat? Sit down on a curbstone and write you a letter himself about how he got bit by five fox terriers last week? I expect him to bring me some personal mail, that's all. I'm entitled to more mail than I get, and I think they're holding out on me. I'll bet the post office downtown has got a back room jammed full of every personal letter they ever got for me. Ah, oh, nonsense. How about that letter you got from the finance company yesterday? That was about as personal as anybody could get. That's trivial. You know what I'm going to do? No, and I think I'll hide under the bed till you do it. I'm going to write a letter that'll blow the lid off the whole political pork barrel. That's what I'm going to write a letter that'll... Where's my fountain pen? In your vest. Where's my vest? At the dry cleaners. Oh. They're sending your pen back by mail. Uh-huh, and I'll bet I never get it, too, either. I'll use a pencil. Where's some paper? Oh, here. Dear Harry. Dear who? Harry. Harry Truman. <laughs> I got a complaint to make, Tootsie. I don't horse around with the underlings. I go right to the top. Yeah, but the logical person to complain to is the Postmaster General. Huh? Oh, well. Well, maybe right. I'll change it. Dear Jim. Jim. Farley. Dear Jim. This is to warn you that I've set a trap for your uniform stooges. My personal mail has not been... Oops, I bore down too hard. Broke the pencil. Give me another pencil. Lena always has one. But what kind of a trap did you set, McGee? Ha, 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 You wait and see, blue eyes. The mail is due in 15 minutes, and if I don't get a certain letter, I'm going to put a blast on the post office that'll make Hiroshima look like a wealthy surbub. <laughs> See if Lena's got an indelible pencil. I'm going to use some blue language. All right, Master. Oh, Lena! Lena! What's a brawl? Another little row with the brawler, brawler, gentlemen. Didn't you know, Mr. McGee, that Mr. Farley ain't the Postmaster General anymore? I heard he left the Democratic Party and went into politics. <laughs> You've been listening to our conversation, Lena? Well, <laughs> I don't know how a buddy could help it, Mr. McGee. Gosh, you hollered so loud, I ironed five wrinkles into your green shirt. <laughs> but I know how you feel about getting mail. I get the dearest letters from a war veteran. Love letters, Lena? Well, now that I couldn't really say, Mrs. McGee. They're all wrote in the Spanish language, and I can't read Spanish. <laughs> Can't he write English? No, he's a Spanish-American war veteran. <laughs> See, he stayed in Cuba after the war, and he started a gambling joint. A gambling joint? Yes, it's really a chop suey parlor, but he calls it a gambling joint because he's the only one that can't lose. 
I thought you couldn't read Spanish. Oh, I can't, Mr. McGee. You see, a friend of mine transplants the letters into American for me. Oh. <laughs> in his we got matter, he said when we got married, we could go to the arena and watch the matadors as they fight El Toro. And do you know what that means? El Toro? Yeah. That's the bull, Lena. It must have been. <laughs> Because he didn't send me any engagement ring, you know. <laughs> well, I think I'll learn some Spanish songs and surprise him, like chicory chick chala chala chicala romeo, and all that stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, but that's not Spanish, Lena. That's gibberish. Oh, that's all right, Mrs. McGee. <laughs> He's part gibber on his father. Little snoop shot of him with me here. <laughs> oh, did I show you his picture? I always carry little snoop shot of him with me here. Oh, but you mean snapshot, Lena? No, this is a snoop shot, Mr. McGee. He didn't know the police were taking it. <laughs> What's that number on his chest for, Lena? Well, he said he just bought a lottery ticket and he didn't want to forget the numbers. <laughs> oh, you wanted a pencil, Mr. McGee. Here it is. It writes better if you put one arm around it. I took it off a dance program. <laughs> oh, zippity doo <laughs> Happy little character. Yeah, when she first started here, hey, it's about time for the mailman. Keep an eye out the window, kiddo. You see, you're expecting a letter, McGee? I sure am. Whom from? Me. You? Yep. I wrote it myself to myself. Oh. It's a test case. And if that letter ain't delivered in this mail, I got him right where I want him. I'll take the next plane to Washington. Oh, there I'm... he is, McGee. There's the mailman. Yeah, yeah, look at him. Look at that batch of mail he's leaving next door. Now, I'll bet half of it is mine. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Here he comes. Here he comes. He stopped. Watch him, baby, watch him. If he throws any letters down the sewer, you'll know who they are. Look. He turned away. He's passing us up. Aha, that does it. I trapped him. Get your hat, Molly. We're going down to the post office. All right, Gary, but I don't think you... Where's my spats? I don't want to give the impression that I'm a nobody. Where's my spats? Oh, I remember. They're right here in the hall. No, McGee, please. Now it has to be... to the orchestra and among my souvenirs.
get to that post office. I'll read him the riot act in seven languages. I'll take this thing clean up to the Supreme Court. I'll plead the case myself. Well, now, don't forget the old saying, dearie. Huh? A man who acts as his own lawyer has a fool for a client. Don't worry. I know my way around a courtroom. I'll slip five bucks to one of the mastiffs to get the case called early. That way... You don't mean mastiffs, dearie. You mean bailiffs. <laughs> you? I thought a bailiff was something you threw into a stew for flavoring. <laughs> a bay leaf. Oh, now, don't give me that, kiddo. A bay leaf is that extra page in the front of a book where it says, all the coincidental characters in this book are purely. <laughs> now, nah, you're thinking of a fly leaf. I am? Well, then what's a mastiff? A mastiff is a big dog. Why, certainly it is, and that's <laughs> what I said. I'm going to hound them post office guys through the biggest court. In- <laughs> oh, hi, Wimp. Hello, Mr. Wimple. Hello, folks. <laughs> Where are you going? I'm on my way to the post office, Wimp. Got a little case against them. They've been holding out my personal mail. Say, have you been having any trouble with your mail, Mr. Wimple? Not a bit, Mrs. McGee. <laughs> Sweetie Face, it's my big old wife. <laughs> Sweetie Face opens it, reads it, answers it, tears it up, and throws it away. You mean she opens your personal mail? You let her get away with that, Wimp? Yes. I also let the sun rise every morning. You mean there's nothing much you can do about it, I suppose. Oh, you're so right, Mrs. McGee. Sweetie Face is a very strong-minded woman. In fact, she's as stubborn as a mule. The resemblance doesn't end there, either. Look, wimp old man, I'm not the type of guy that interferes with another guy's personal life. I'm merely the type of guy that has gone to the mat with matrimony. Always remember this, wimp. The man of the house has got to be the boss, you see. Am I right, Molly? Absolutely, dearie. I know. You've got to have crust if you're going to be the breadwinner, wimp. Right, Snooky? Right. But every time... It's the guy that puts his foot down that don't get stepped on. So, baby? Check. That's all, baby. Assert yourself, wimp. Horse flies don't let on the guy that cracks the whip. Got a match, Molly, my cigar. What did you say about horseflies? I said they don't light on the guy that cracks the whip. Well, get a match for me, will you, Molly, my cigar? Throw it away, dear. You're smoking too much. No, I'm not. I've only had about three. Throw it away, dear. Okay. <laughs> Now, remember what I says, Wimp. It ain't too late to establish yourself as the boss. <laughs> Let Sweetie Face know she's taking orders from you. Mr. McGee, you've done it. You've made me see things in an entirely different light. Well, good for you, Mr. Wimple. What are you going to do? I'm going home and read my bird book. <laughs> Your what? My bird book. I used to hide up in the attic and strain my eyes reading it. Now you're just going to defy her and read it wherever you want to. Yes, I am. I'm going to lock myself in the fruit cellar and read it. <laughs> That's an entirely different light down there. You mean I've been wasting my breath on you, Wimp? No, no, you haven't, Mr. McGee. I'm going downtown right now and buy something that will show her who's boss. Heavenly days. You mean a revolver? No, a looking glass. <laughs> well, good luck at the post office, Mr. McGee. Goodbye now. <laughs> now, 
poor Mr. Wimple. I guess he's just too naturally modest to assert himself. Yeah, he's so modest he makes people turn their backs while he changes his mind. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, you know something? Yes. The cotton gin was invented by Eli Whitney. No, no. I mean, you know something about this post office business? Well, not very much, dearie. <laughs> I played it once when I was a young girl. But, uh, <laughs> I didn't like it. No, no. I mean about the government post office. You see, tampering with the mail is a federal offense. And anybody that's... Hello, talking... Molly. Hello, pal. Out for a walk. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. No, we're not out for a walk, Junior. I'm on my way to the post office to raise a little ruckus. I'm going to start a shakedown among them stamp tramps that'll rattle the windows in the White House. He thinks they're discriminating against him, Mr. Wilcox. All he ever gets is bills and advertising. Look, pal, the United States Postal Service is one of the best organized branches of the government. You'd better have a good case before you barge in with any half-baked accusations. Who's baking half an accusation? <laughs> I got them postcard peekers red-handed. I knew they were holding up my mail, so I sent myself a letter, special delivery, and it wasn't delivered. Well, maybe you didn't put a stamp on the letter. I put a stamp on it, all right, boy. A three-center and a special delivery. And what's more, the glue they put on them things shouldn't happen to a human being. <laughs> Tastes like the underside of the last step of the back stairs of a tannery. <laughs> I was so bad myself. Oh, oh, of course, I'd never serve it as an hors d'oeuvre at a parent-teacher's meeting, but <laughs> I stamped 62 Christmas cards without meal effects. Well, I can't understand it. The post office goes to all kinds of trouble to deliver my mail. Why, just this morning, I got a letter addressed simply to No Rubbing, No Buffing, Whistful Vista, USA. My goodness, isn't that wonderful? Oh, that's a different problem. Of course, with Johnson's glow coat being so famous all the world over, they didn't have any trouble figuring out where it was supposed to go. Well, uh, if it was only... The real man said he was so familiar with glow coat that he'd bring me a letter that just had a hyphen on it. Oh, now, wait a minute, Julian. That's He can't... said that practically every housewife on his route uses Johnson's glow coat. He says the minute a front door opens, he can tell if they use glow coat. Rich or poor, the houses that are bright and shiny and gleaming with hospitality are the ones where glow coat has taken the drudgery out of kitchen scrubbing. Yeah, but what... He said... Uh, my mailman, that is. Mm -hmm. He says his own wife has used glow coat on her kitchen linoleum ever since they were married. And it looks as fresh and colorful as the day they bought it. Oh. And because it dries in 20 minutes at last... Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, Waxy. Hey? <laughs> your mailman said all this? Yes. Who is your mailman? Oh, didn't you know? My cousin, Big Baggy Wilcox. <laughs> Oh, he got a big kick out of figuring out where to deliver that letter addressed. No rubbing, no buffing, Wistful Vista, USA. By the way, who was it from, Junior? I sent it myself. <laughs> That's why I think you'll get yours, too, eventually. Let me know, will you, pal? So long, now. Yeah. Ah, he's a good boy, McGee. Always working. Yeah. The only time that guy ever lays down on the job is to look under the kitchen table and feel the linoleum. <laughs> if Racine... Re hey, there's Latrivia. Hi, Latrivia. Well, hello there, McGee. Good day, Molly. Good day, Mr. Mayor. Nice day for a stroll, isn't it? Yes, but I'm not out just for the exercise. I'm inspecting the pavement from Oak Street to 14th. Bad, is it, Your Honor? Yes, yes, rather. One of our city detectives was slightly injured this morning when a squad car hit a stretch of bad pavement. Fracture anything, Latrell? No, no, it threw him off the seat and he got a corner of the racing form in his eye. Oh, wow, that's terrible. On the contrary, he played a hunch in the fifth race and made $35 on a horse named Cobblestone. 
I had an experience like that once myself, Latrive. I tripped on my shoestring at Churchill Downs one year and bet my shirt on an ag named Button Shoes. <laughs> Did you collect, McGee? No, Mr. Mayor. Stumblebum won the race. <laughs> You look tired, Your Honor. I am tired. Been on my feet all day. Well, we're going to the post office right now, Latrib, but we ought to be home in an hour or so. Drop in and throw your barking dogs a bone. Yes, huh? do, Mr. Mayor. Sure. Maybe you could stand a cup of tea, too. Yes, yes, I could drink a cup of tea with relish. <laughs> with relish? Yes. Didn't you ever hear the expression? Well, whatever you like with it, we have it, Your Honor. <laughs> What do you do, uh, mix it right in the teacup or eat it on the side? Mix what in the cup? The relish. We got some swell piccalilli that Molly's Aunt Sarah <laughs> Or if you prefer mustard pickles, we got a fresh bottle of mustard pickles. What are you talking about? I merely oh, said now, that Oh, now, don't let keep... McGee kid you out of it, Mr. Mayor. No. <laughs> if you want relish in your tea, you can have it. <laughs> I use orange pico and... But I, I didn't say what that What do you I... care what people think, Latrib? I knew a guy once that put sugar on sardines. <laughs> Matter of fact, a little pick a lily in your tea might not be a bad idea, might you? I didn't say I picked a lily in my... <laughs> I mean, I didn't ask for any sardines on my tickalulu. <laughs> I was just... Now, please, please, Mr. Mayor, we're not criticizing. When you're our guest, you can have anything you ask for. Though I must say that pickles in your orange pico is... I don't want any pickles in my pick. Uh, anytime I ask for orange pickles in my piccolo, you asked me if I wanted a cup of relish, and I said, yes, I could drink some with tea. Uh, no, no. You said, would I cup a like a pickled orange? Now, 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 take it easy, sire. We're not crowding you. The piccalilli was merely a suggestion. Maybe you'd rather have chili sauce. They're in a good dash of chili Will sauce. Will you please be quiet? I never put chili mix in my orange tickle. Look, you're the one who suggested sticking the pickle in the chicken box. The solid chickens in the pickle. Nobody wants any mickle picky in their cup of orange people. I was just a ticket. A pickle The chicken was... I went to do it was you. I did McGee? Yes? You're going to the post office, you say? Yes, we are, Mr. Mayor. Would you do something for me? Name it, boy. Just name it. Thank you. Will you please go into the dead letter office and wait till I call for you? <laughs> Why, sure, boy. How soon are you going to pick me up? You should live so long. <laughs> And Polly put the kettle on. Oh, Polly, what do you want? Polly put the kettle on, kettle on, kettle on. Polly put the kettle on and we can have some tea with relish. Polly put the kettle on, kettle on, kettle on. Polly put the kettle on and we can have some tea with relish. Get out the cookies, we're gonna have a treat. I'll sweep the crumbs away, you'll sweep me off my feet. Polly put the kettle on, kettle on, kettle on, kettle on. 
put the kettle on. Let's have tea. Hot cross buns. Hot cross buns. One a penny, two a penny. Hot cross buns. Polly, put the kettle on. I'll go buy a bun. When the tea is boiling, we'll have fun. is a very handsome building, McGee. I hate to think of you tearing it down stone by stone. Well, don't stand in the middle of the corridor, Molly. Why not? I don't want to get uh, I don't want you to get hit by any flying bodies. If the postmaster gives me any lip, I'll You what, Timber Chin? Oh, hello, Dr. Gamble. Hi, puffy pants. <laughs> Why aren't you on duty at the hospital checking people's temperature and bank accounts? Why don't you mind your own business, Razorback, if you have any, which I doubt very much. And what's all this about the postmaster giving you an argument? McGee's got a complaint to enter, Doctor. Naturally. He's as full of squawks as a truck full of ducks. (laughs) This is a legitimate beef, Butcher Boy. They haven't been delivering my personal letters, and I can prove it. Your personal letters? Who are you kidding, you little outcast? You haven't had a letter in 15 years that didn't start out by saying, we regret to call this account to your attention again, but... Well, he's got one coming this time, Doctor, that he knows about. You betcha. I knew they were holding up my personal mail, so I sent myself a letter. And what happens? They didn't deliver it. Maybe they can't read the address. Your handwriting looks like it had been dictated to a left-handed baboon while he was skipping rope. Well, he wrote this letter on the typewriter, Doctor, and it has a new ribbon on it, too. I put it on last Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. You can't talk me out of this rap sleeping pill. I got him dead to rights this time. Well, good luck with it, chipmunk. Uh, incidentally, you'll find an extra $5 added to your bill this month. Want to know what it's for? Oh, not particularly, Doctor. You've never charged us as much as you should have. The heck he hasn't. He's as high-handed as a third-grade school kid that wants to leave the room. <laughs> That light case of pneumonia. How about that? Twenty-five bucks he soaks me. Well, what do you think I'm in business for? Your health? What was the extra... What was the extra five dollars for, Doctor? Just as a matter of curiosity. Easter Seals, my dear. The National Society for Crippled Children and Adults. Chicago 3, Illinois. I like that organization. To help a crippled child or adult, they make only one condition. That the help is needed. That's all. They don't ask your race or creed or age. Germs and accidents don't consider those things either. No, I should say they don't. Well, I hope you get along all right with the postmaster, McGee. Not a bad fellow, till you get to know him. So long, Molly. Bye, Doctor. So long, Doc. Well, come on, 
dearie, let's get this thing settled, or have you gotten over your man? No, sir. I'm the type of guy that can hold a grudge long after I forgot what it was all about. I'm the type of guy... That, hey, where's the postmaster's office? Well, could it be this door right here, the one that says postmaster on it? Oh, yeah, yeah, it could be. Come on. Hi, bud. You the high muckamuck in this marble wastebasket? <laughs> well, I, uh, am the postmaster, if that's what you mean, sir. Good. You better sit down, Si. You got a shock coming. Really? May I ask who you are? My name is McGee, Fiverr McGee, and this is my wife, Mrs. McGee. How do you do, I'm sure? How do you do? What can I do for you, Mr. McGee? You can deliver my mail, bud. That's simple enough, ain't it? You haven't been getting your mail? Just bills, Mr. Postmaster, and now and then a blotter from a Mr. Davis, an insurance man. <laughs> now get this, brother. I'm entitled to some personal mail once in a while, and I want to get it, see? Well, I'm sure, Mr. McGee, that you get any mail addressed to you. We have a very... No, I don't get any mail that's addressed to me. I tested you out. I set a trap for you. I mailed myself a special delivery yesterday, and it was never delivered. Now, take a deep breath and explain that, will you? Well, I don't understand it myself, Mr. McGee. If you mail a special delivery, it should Are you sure you dropped it in the box, McGee? Look in your overcoat pocket. Certainly I dropped it in the box. My gosh, you can see the box from this window here. I drove all the way downtown last night to mail it right here at the post well, office. The, the box beside the steps there, Mr. McGee? Well, that box is emptied every half hour. No, 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 not that box. The one down on the corner there. You see it with the tilting lid? <laughs> I see. The one that says, deposit trash, here. Yeah, that's the one, and that. Huh? Oh. Huh? Oh. 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 Well, I'm willing to skip it this time, bud, and give you guys one more chance. But if I don't get any mail letters tomorrow... River and Molly return in just a moment. What part of your home attracts the most dirt? Isn't it your kitchen floor? Every time you have it looking nice, the delivery boy tracks it up where you spill something or the children bring in mud. But if you know the secret, it's really quite easy to have a kitchen floor that's clean and shining all the time, even in winter. Just get some Johnson self-polishing glow coat. In no time, you'll have a kitchen floor that's really bright. There's no rubbing or buffing with glow coat. Just spread it around on the linoleum and let it dry. Then come back in 20 minutes to find your floor wax polished and gleaming and all so smooth and even. Next time someone tracks in mud or you spill something, just wipe the glow-coated floor with a damp cloth and it'll be as clean and nice-looking as ever. And it's such a comfort to know that your linoleum is protected. In fact, with regular glow-coat care, it will keep its gay colors and newness years longer. Try it, won't you? Ask for Johnson's self-polishing glow-coat, the floor finish that gives a brighter shine. Who are you riding to now, dearie? Postmaster, apologizing. Good for you. No, I'm not stubborn. When I'm wrong, I admit it, in black and white. Well, I'm proud of you. Sign it and I'll mail it myself. Okay. How do you spell anonymous? Anonymous. Sure, you don't think I'm going to sign my own name to this thing? My gosh. I'm liable to have a beef with those guys anytime. Oh. Good night. Good night, all. NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Interested in the same man, there is bound to be a certain amount of friction between them. 
But it can be said truthfully that in their rivalry over Mr. Poynton, our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High, and Daisy Enright have never engaged in any cutthroat competition. No, indeed. We could never get the knives out of each other's backs in time. <laughs> but although our competition in the past has been rather intense, last Wednesday I received some wonderful news. Miss Enright was about to leave school to marry someone else, thus leaving me a clear field with Mr. Boynton. As I waited at the bus stop for my bus to school Thursday morning, I was in such excellent spirits I could barely contain my enthusiasm. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a wonderful day. Da-da-da-da-da. Hello, good morning, driver. A good, good morning to you. Hi, have you ever seen such a beautiful morning? Cold and crisp and yet absolutely clear. Amazingly clear. Just look at that sunshine. Look at it. Have you ever seen the sun so bright this early in the morning? So glisteningly, brilliantly, beautifully bright. Have you ever seen it so bright? <laughs> Ten cents, please. <laughs> oh, it's the sort of morning that makes you glad to be alive. Glad you can see and hear and feel. Birds chirping, air tingling, sun shining. Honestly, have you ever seen such a day? Ten cents, please. <laughs> and lady, you see that sign up there? Please do not converse with driver while bus is in motion. Yes, I see it. Good. Then would you mind stopping the bus so we can chat? <laughs> oh, you know, I wouldn't be talking to you like this, but the most wonderful thing happened to a friend of mine. You see, she teaches school, and she and some other teacher were competing for the same fellow. Now, the other teacher finally saw she didn't have a chance, so she joined an introduction club, corresponded with a man, and now she's getting married, thus leaving the field open for the first teacher. Isn't that wonderful? Ten cents, please. <laughs> right, you haven't heard the end. Lady, lady, I saw the whole story on television last night. <laughs> and if you can keep a secret, I'm the first teacher. You haven't got a dime, I'll lend it to you. Oh, no, I, I've got the money. The bus driver wants his fare, and the bus driver will get his fare. Here we are, the bus fare for the bus driver. The happy little driver gets his little fare. <laughs> <laughs> and to think I turned down a chance to become a ditch digger. <laughs> there we are. Ten pennies. Lady, come back here. You made a mistake. You gave me 11 pennies. Easy come, easy go. <laughs> Today you can keep the change. Why is Miss Enright doing this to me? Why is she me? Why, Harry? Why? <laughs> Why to get married, Daddy? That's the poorest excuse I've ever heard. Imagine Miss Enright using an introduction club to correspond with some out-of-town idiot. When right here on my own faculty, there are enough idiots to teach us. But that was just it, Daddy. She chose Mr. Boynton years ago, but he never gave her a tumble. How could he, when Miss Brooks has always had her big feet out whenever he passed? <laughs> this, morning, this morning, I'm going to see what I can do about that. If 
Miss Brooks could be persuaded to give up her bashful biologist for a few weeks, then Miss Enright might... Daddy, you wouldn't interfere in the personal life of your teacher. Oh, wouldn't I, Now, if you'll excuse me, Harriet, I believe I see my pigeon... Miss Brooks, come up to my inner office, please. Oh, all right. Now she's walking up the front steps. Now she's approaching the front doors. Now she's coming toward my office. Good morning, Miss Brooks. Uh, good, good morning to you, sir. Follow me into my office, please. Yes, sir. After you. Right after you. Right into your office. Well, you're looking well this morning, Mr. Conklin. Healthy, robust, clear-eyed, well-rested. I don't think I've ever seen you looking better, sir. No, sir, never better. Well, I've seen you looking well before, but never brimming with the marvelous health you're brimming with this morning. Go sit down. Well, anyway, that's better than ten cents, please. Yes, sir. I'll come directly to the point, Miss Brooks. You are no doubt aware of the grave shortage of good teachers at the present time and the great difficulty in securing a new one when one is lost. Now, we don't want to lose Miss Enright, do we? Who doesn't? <laughs> I doesn't. <laughs> I feel sure that if greater interest were displayed in her by a certain male member of my faculty, Miss Enright might consider remaining. How do you know that? She told me. Now, if you would be willing to step aside for three or four weeks, I'm sure that this... Sir, I most emphatically will not. I think this is a most unfair request, a distinct infringement on my personal life. And I think you're overstepping your authority in asking me to do it. So you do. <laughs> Miss Brooks, may I remind you that I have your application to teach at night school, an application which only requires my signature to put you out of circulation every night for the remainder of this semester. But, sir, that application is six years old, made before I met Mr. Boynton. Why, it's covered with dust by now. I'll buy a new dust cloth in your honor. <laughs> All right, sir, I'll do as you ask. Well, will you tell Miss Enright, or shall I? Neither one of us need bother. But how will she know? I told her 15 minutes ago. <laughs> All right, class dismissed. Hey, take it easy. get out that fast. The room isn't infected, you know. Oh, there you are. Good morning, dear, dear Miss Brooks. Now it is. Good morning, Miss Enright. I came in to thank you for stepping aside and being the good sport you usually aren't. Oh, you needn't thank me. It was Mr. Conklin's idea to prevent you from leaving Madison. Oh, but darling, I never had any intention of leaving Madison. Huh? No, this was just a little plan of mine to have dear Mr. Boynton all to myself for a few weeks. I knew exactly how Mr. Conklin would react when I threatened to resign to get married. Then you didn't correspond with anyone through that introduction club. Oh, yes, but I did, darling. I carried on quite a lengthy and amorous correspondence with a fellow named Victor Cummings, a businessman from Attleboro, Massachusetts. 
Matter of fact, he's due in on the noon train. The noon train? Well, that ought to give you plenty of time to get married before your date with Mr. Boynton tonight. What are you going to do about this fellow Cummings? Aren't you worried? I worried? Why should I be worried, darling? Oh, oh, that's right. I neglected to tell you. I carried on the correspondence in your name. <laughs> My name? But I'm certain it was the enclosed snapshot of you that induced him to come out to get married. It was quite a neat bit of trick photography. I superimposed your head on Jane Russell's body. I see. Well, even if I didn't object to the marriage, I'm sure Mr. Cummings would. But why, darling? By the time he married the girl in that photograph, he'd be arrested for bigamy. <laughs> Up to now, Miss Enright and I had campaigned for Mr. Boynton in the usual accepted unladylike manner. But her latest trick of sending my name, address, and photograph to some lonely hearts businessman in Attleboro, Massachusetts was a low blow of the foulest order. And I was terribly unhappy that I hadn't thought of it first. However, at noon, when I saw Mr. Boynton approaching our table in the school cafeteria, I decided I'd better keep my promise to Mr. Conklin and temporarily break off our relationship. But I determined to do it gently and with finesse. Hello, Miss Brooks. Goodbye, Mr. Boynton. (laughs) I'm afraid I'll have to postpone our date for tonight. But, Miss Brooks, you have our ballet tickets for tonight, and we've been looking forward to it for a month. Oh, I'm sorry, but I feel a nasty cold coming on. I wouldn't want you to catch it. Well, well, you needn't worry about that. I never get too close to you. Well, don't rub it in. <laughs> but I'm afraid we'd better forget about tonight. Hi, Mr. Boynton. Boy, Miss Brooks, have I got a bulletin for you. What is it, Walter? Well, I was taking the calls in Mr. Conklin's office just now, and this phone message came in for you. Your fiancé, Harry Gibbons, has arrived from Scranton, Pennsylvania. (laughs) Harry Gibbons from Scranton, Pennsylvania? Then there is someone else. There are two someone else's. (laughs) I don't know anyone from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Well, he certainly seemed to know you. He said, he said to tell you, Hairbreath Harry is here to marry his cuddly Connie. Cuddly Connie. Well, I never. Well, maybe you should have. Oh, believe me, Mr. Boynton, there must be some mistake. I don't know anyone from Scranton, Pennsylvania. The only fiancé I'm expecting is from Attleboro, Massachusetts. What am I saying? So Miss Enright wasn't the only one to make use of that introduction club. Mr. Boynton, she's the one who wrote to these men, and then she... Oh, here you are, dear. I'm glad I found you. Why, Mrs. Davis, what is it? Well, I told him you'd be home after three, Connie, but he's getting terribly impatient. Who's getting impatient? Your fiancé, Wilbur Davenport, from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oshkosh, Wisconsin? But I wouldn't marry him if I were you, dear. Personally, I like that tall, strong cattleman from Austin, Texas. <laughs> He's a real pulse stopper. with Mrs. Davis and help her get rid of that Shriners Convention? No, I will not, Miss Brooks. But may I say I wish you the best of luck and happiness 
wherever you are. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll be going. Oh, please, Mr. Boynton, wait. Oh, I am sorry if I've upset you, dear. This whole thing must be a terrible strain. Perhaps you'd better ask Mr. Conklin to excuse you for the rest of the day so you can come home and relax. Oh, I can think of a better place than that to relax in, Mrs. Davis. Where, Connie? Well, sir, see what they can give me at the YMCA. Step into the bus, please. I watch your doors. Ah, say, you're the happy little lady from this morning. You know, you were feeling so good that it turned out to be contagious, and I've been whistling and singing ever since. Yes, ma'am, whistling and singing, and it's all because of your happy, sunny disposition. Yes, ma'am, all because of you. I hate Gabby bus drivers. <laughs> Change this quarter, please. Maybe I could give you some free advice. All right, Mr. Anthony. Solve this one if you can. Two girls are interested in the same man. Girl A sends girl B's name, address, and photograph to a number of -of out-of-town bachelors. They all arrive. One of them, a big strapping Texan, wipes out the opposition. Now, girl B is stuck with the problem of getting rid of this unwanted suitor. Crazy, huh? Can't happen, huh? Who said I told you I saw the whole thing last night on television. <laughs> Wasn't on Howdy Doody by any chance. No, no, some comedy show. Now, the blackout is this girl puts on the oldest dress she can find. She acts like she's been sick a hundred years, like she's got a million troubles, and a guy gets so disgusted... Say no more, I get the idea. Pretty crazy stories on television today, huh, lady? <laughs> that stuff could never happen in a million years in real life. No? Pull up a chair outside my window tonight, and you'll find out differently. Ever hear of or read a magazine article called, And Sudden Death? If you do any kind of driving, listen to this quote from the article. If you customarily pass without clear vision a long way ahead... Make sure that everyone with you carries identification papers. It's difficult to identify a body with its whole face bashed in or torn off. Don't take chances when you drive. If you have a good head on your shoulders, keep it there. only one sure way to drive my correspondence club Romeo back to Texas. That was to look and behave in as ghastly a manner as possible. So that evening, after giving myself the ugly duckling treatment, I stood inspection before my landlady. Well, Mrs. Davis, how do I look? Fine, dear. Simply awful. (laughs) If that potato sack you're wearing doesn't scare off your Texan, then the rest of you should. How did you happen to look so bad? Well, I thought of all the things a girl does to make herself attractive to a man, and then I did them all upside down. But I only hope the rest of my plan works. It certainly should. 
Just keep talking to him about your ailments. No man wants to marry a sick woman. Well, judging from my experience with Mr. Boynton, no man wants to marry any woman. <laughs> Have you heard from Mr. Boynton or Miss Enright? Yes, dear. They're coming to pick up those ballet tickets. Over my fighting body. If that Texan is as gallant as most Texans, I have an idea that will put Miss Enright... How do you like that? The main sign song. <laughs> well, here he is, Mrs. Davis. You'd better go inside. All right, dear. Good luck. Howdy, ma'am. I'm... Holy jumper, gee, Hossifat. You are a ma'am, ain't you? <laughs> Wonderful. You're the first one who's noticed it in a week. Won't you come in? Only please watch the scatter rug. Well, hey there. I'm Bill Sadler. Travel all the way from Austin, Texas to claim the hand of the beautiful Constance Brooks. Will you tell your granddaughter I'm here? <laughs> leaving for Texas at 9.17. Oh, now, whoa, whoa. Who said anything about leaving? When Bill Sadler makes a bargain, he keeps it. I was afraid you'd say it that way. Uh, how soon can you be ready to start back with me, Constance? Uh, well, certainly not until after I have my appendix removed. Oh, got to have an operation, eh? Well, I'm in no hurry. When are you planning to have the appendix out? Right after the scar from my lung operation healed. You had a lung operation? But you didn't say nothing about any operations in your letters. Well, since the 1st of November, the doctors have taken out my tonsils, adenoids, one rib, a piece of spine cartilage, a hunk of kneecap, and something in Clause 4, Paragraph 2. Something in Clause 4, Paragraph 2? That's an operation in my hospital insurance contract to which I was entitled, so I took it. Nobody loves this. Well, this is a stroke of luck. Luck? You wouldn't believe it to look at me, ma'am, but I've had 27 operations myself. Set by my open fireplace and just kick around our operations. <laughs> now, uh, why don't you be a good girl and start packing, huh? But, Mr. Sadler, I feel there's something else you should know. I doubt if my husband would approve. Husband? You, you got you a husband? That's what I got me. <laughs> How come you never mentioned him in your letter? I meant to, but I always seem to run out of ink. I don't get it, ma'am. If you've got you a husband, what for do you want me? That's what I say. <laughs> Actually, Mr. Sadler, I've seen very little of my husband since he began running around with a blonde named Daisy Enright. Oh, so that's how the land lies. Well, see, there's one thing I can't stand, ma'am. It's a female coming in to bust up a happy home. Why, back in Texas, we taunt a woman like that. <laughs> 
pretend you're back in Texas. I'll see who it is. Well, good evening, Miss Enright, and Mr. Conklin. Oh, Miss Brooks, what a charming costume. And you've never worn your hair more becomingly. Then it is Miss Brooks. <laughs> For a moment, I thought it was Nightmare Alley. Aren't you going to ask us in, Miss Brooks? Oh, uh, yes, sir. Come in. Is this the vomit, ma'am? <laughs> oh, no, there's been a... Osgood, darling, why did you bring this hussy to our home? Well, you see, Miss Brooks, I found out what Miss Enright had done, and to avoid any further bad feeling between you two, I decided that I would ask, good darling, why did you bring this hussy to our home? temper. I won't call you that if you don't want me to, only don't beat me again. Please don't beat me. You know how easily I bleed. Good grief, the woman has finally flipped her lid. If she has, you've driven her to it. But you lay a hand on her partner and I'll throw your worthless carcass to the coyotes. Like I've stepped right into the middle of high noon. <laughs> uh, Miss Brooks, just who is this oversized hop along captain? Well, never mind who I am, but I'll thank you to show a little more respect for your loving wife. Wife? You have the colossal gall to call that ragged, unkempt, <laughs> moth-eaten creature my wife? Oh, Osgood, then you do still love me. <laughs> oh, now, really, this charade has gone far enough. This woman means absolutely nothing to this man, and I don't see why... You keep out of this, Blondie! <laughs> You've been causing enough trouble around this corral. Why don't you get wise and promise your little woman you're going to stop chasing around with this young Palomino? Palomino? <laughs> don't you mean old paint? Don't think of it. I might as well take this matter into my own hands. Come on, Blondie. Why don't you and me kind of mosey off and leave these people to make up? Hmm? You take your hands off me. Well, goodbye, ma'am, and good luck in your physics. Thanks. Thanks, and many more happy operations to you, too. Uh, I suppose you want me to explain what happened, Mr. Conklin. Either that, or I'm going to have another newsy session with my psychiatrist in the morning. Now, what was that all about? Well, sir, that Texan was so persistent, the only way I could get rid of him was to claim you were my husband. And what better person to get rid of him on than Miss Enright? Well, yes, I suppose that was only common justice after the trick she played on you. I brought her here to straighten matters out. Uh, well, I've had a hard night, Miss Brooks, mostly performing the part of an erring husband. So if you'll excuse me, I'll... Oh, now, who can that be? Uh, just a moment, sir, while I see who it is. Yes? Oh, good evening. I'm Victor Cummings of Attleboro, Massachusetts. 
Connie Brooks is expecting me. Would you kindly tell your granddaughter I'm here? Just a moment, please. Oh, Mr. Conklin. Yes, Miss Brooks? Take off your coat. We've got one more performance tonight. Eve Horton. After looking the part of my own grandma for a whole evening, it'll be a real pleasure to ditch this rocking chair routine for a little grammar. Well, Miss Brooks, calling Eve Horton, Frank Clark, with the music directed by Larry Byrne, written by Arthur Olsberg and Lou Derman, with the music of Lud Gluskin. Mr. Conklin was played by Gail Gordon. Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is wall. W-A-L-L. Really? You bet your life. The more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is... The one, the only... That's me, Groucho Marx. Well, here I am again, all ready to start the new season with $1,000 for one of our couples. Benjamin, who's supposed to try for it? Well, a couple about to be married, Groucho. They were selected by the studio audience just before we went on the air. Really? They are uh, Corrine Dressler and Elmer Rich. Hmm. People, step right up here and meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, kids, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. And if you say the secret word while we're talking, you will divide $100 between you. <laughs> it's a common word, something you'll find around the house. <laughs> a couple about to be married. Um, uh, Corrine Dressler, is that... Uh... That's right. And Elmer, Elmer Rich, eh? Yes, Carter. So you two are about to set sail on a sea of matrimony, eh? Miss uh, Dressler, where, where are you from? I'm uh, from the Tri-City, Dubuque, Iowa. Is that three cities, Dubuque, Iowa? Well, it's right on the, the boundary of Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa. Oh. Well, that's very educational. Huh? <laughs> and Mr. Rich? I'm from the where, where are you from? Small corner of South Dakota near Alcester. Oh, you look like Jimmy Roosevelt. <laughs> Only he wears a necktie, yeah? <laughs> uh, how old are you? 22. 22. And, and you? 30. 30. Just think, I'm old enough to be your father. Yeah. <laughs> if you think long enough, I'm old enough to be your grandfather. <laughs> what sort of work do you do, Elm? I'll call you Elm. <laughs> That's a tree I used to know in North Dakota. Huh? I work for the Owens, Illinois Glass Company. Owens, Illinois Glass Company? Uh, where is Owens, Illinois? In Vernon, California. <laughs> Has uh, Rand McNally heard about this? I mean, uh, Owens, Illinois. Yeah, let, let's start all over again. Just where, where is Owens, Illinois? Where isn't any such place as Owens, Illinois? You just said it was in Vernon, California. <laughs> I hope your glass is clearer than your geography. <laughs> what is your job at this plant specifically? Uh, I'm a production uh, recorder. Production recorder? And what, what does that consist of? 
Well, after the wares put in boxes, it's put on wheel wagons. And I didn't get the phrase. After the bottles, the wares. The we wares. Call it, we call it ware. Why don't you call it bottles? It's too simple. I guess so. I don't know. But anyway, it's. Have put, you ever inquired? Then? <laughs> why don't you ask the foreman at the plant why they don't call them bottles since they are bottles? Yeah, I don't know. I never you just stand them. there and giggle at the foreman, huh? <laughs> well, anyway, what is your job? A uh, production recorder. <laughs> no, we passed that point some time ago, huh? Well, the job consists of checking out all bottles that have been packed in boxes that have been sent out of the packing room to be shipped to different customers. And I record all that, which in turn is sent to the accounting office for their records. And then they destroy it, I suppose, huh? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, where do you work, Kareem? Where do you work? I work at Owens, Illinois, too. For a town that doesn't exist. <laughs> Owens, Illinois has a bigger population than Vernon, California. <laughs> how, did, how did you meet this chap? Uh, I was working one day, and he used to come around every hour to check the offer. And that's what you thought. Huh? <laughs> well, he didn't pay any attention to me for a long time. And uh, I noticed him, but one day he finally noticed me for some reason or other. And uh, he what asked me... What was the reason? <laughs> I don't know. I know, but I won't tell you. <laughs> you know, two can play at that game. I can be just as coy as you can. Well, anyway, you looked him over. He had looked you over. And uh, finally, he came up and asked me for a date. And then after that, he used to stop around every half hour. <laughs> Must have got a lot of work done at that plant. <laughs> And uh, what is your job at the factory? I'm a selector. A selector? Yes. Isn't that strange? I knew you were a selector the moment I saw you. If I met you on the street, I'd say to myself, there's a selector if I ever saw you. <laughs> now then, what is a selector? Well, uh, I check all the, I mean, I pack all the wear in the boxes. You call it wares too, huh? Yes. <laughs> and uh, I check it for all defects, for... Oh, for cracks and for bullheads. Bullheads? Yes. What do you do? Do you go fishing in this plant? <laughs> was that how you selected Elma? You examined him to see if he was cracked? <laughs> well, let's talk about your future as man and wife. How much do you figure it's going to cost the two of you to live for a month, Elma? I don't believe it costs as much as it does now. Elma, how do you think it'll cost you less to live after you're married? Well, I won't be going out eating dinner every night and going to movies and out to races. And... Is this true, Corrine? Aren't you are, you? are you going to cut down on the entertainment? Well, we don't go out to dinner very often, and we don't go to too many movies. Haven't been to the races in a long time. Elma, you're trapped in one of your own bottles. <laughs> Elma, why don't you forget this girl and marry the one you've been spending all your money on? You're going to play your bet your life for a chance at $1,000. Before you do, pay close attention to Fenneman, who is speaking for all of us on the show. Well, folks, this is our first program of the fall season. And by our, I mean the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. These dealers are glad to be bringing to you once again Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life. They welcome these weekly opportunities to tell you something about themselves and the way they try to do business. 
They want you to know they feel that you, as a customer, deserve the very best their service crews can give you. They try to do every servicing job as quickly and as economically as possible. The mechanics who work on your car are skilled in the latest servicing methods and have the finest equipment to work with. They aim to treat you courteously every time you drive in. So find out soon what it means to be really satisfied with the folks who care for your car. Just visit a DeSoto Plymouth dealer tomorrow. All right, now, here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. Phantom and tell them the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that $20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $1,000 DeSoto Plymouth question at the end of the show. You see, our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. Well, that's fair enough. Here we go. Now, let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected national parks as your category. Here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you try? Ten. Ten? In what state is the Grand Canyon National Park? Arizona. Arizona is right. Thirty dollars. All right, you got $30. Remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight. Now, how much is the 30 Will you bet on your second question? 20 20 huh? Eh? You don't pay any attention to her at all. <laughs> all right, and what state is Mount Rainier National Park? No, Washington. Washington is correct. They're really finding out they have $50. All right, here's your third question. How much of the 50 will you bet? 20 Are <laughs> you betting, betting $20? Yes. Just ignore them out there. Huh? <laughs> Here's your third question. You're betting $20. In what state is the Everglades National Park? In Florida. Florida is right. <laughs> All right, is your last chance to be the other couples. How much of the 70 will you bet? Uh, All right, 10 $10. In what state is Carlsbad Cavern National Park? Oh, New Mexico. New Mexico is correct. Well, thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, don't go too far away. You may get a chance at the big question. Our next couple doesn't know that the secret word is wall. Uh, perhaps they'll say it while they're talking to you. Okay, fellas? Perhaps. Bring them in. We invited some women to the show tonight to operate self-service laundries. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Pauline Jenks. Her partner is a married man from the audience, Mr. Huntley Chapin. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome to your Bet Your Life. And if you say the secret word, you'll divide $100 between you. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. A self-service laundry operator and a married man. Mr. Chapin, how long have you been a self-service laundry operator? I'm a married man. <laughs> I wonder if you had such a clean shirt on. That's what fooled me. <laughs> Where are you from, a married man? Buffalo, New York. Buffalo? Mm-hmm. Now, Mrs. Uh, Pauline Jenks, you must be the laundry operator. Now, come clean. Where are you from? Well, I'm from Glendale. Glendale, mm-hmm. huh? And Mr. Chapin, what are you doing in California? I'm living here. <laughs> well, now that I get a good look at you, I imagine you are. <laughs> I mean, what kind of work do you do? Well, I'm in rather an unusual occupation, I believe. In the fly trapping business. <laughs> well, what, is a, what is a fly trap? A fly trap catches flies. <laughs> That's certainly a logical answer. It doesn't clear up anything for me, but it's logical anyway. How do you mean a fly trap catches flies? 
Can't you catch him with your hand? You need a machine for that? That'd keep you too busy, I believe. Well, I have nothing to do all week, you know. <laughs> now, do you ever do your washing in a self-service laundry, Mr. Chapin? No, I don't. Where do you do your washing? I don't do it. You don't wash? <laughs> no. Well, I suppose it's all the way you're brought up. Isn't it? <laughs> Well, then, does your wife ever patronize the South Side as laundry? Yes, she does. She does, huh? Mm-hmm. Now, Miss Jenks, tell us something about your washing emporium. What is the South Side as laundry? Well, a self-service laundry is where a... It's a cafeteria for underwear? It's <laughs> <laughs> where a housewife brings her a weekly wash. Mm-hmm. I see. Now, as a South Side as laundry operator, has anything unusual ever happened to you? Well, uh, not particularly in connection with the laundry business that I can think of right now. I can remember uh, one time about 15 years ago when I was in Laguna Beach, something unusual happened. Well, we won't uh, tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I was out swimming with a girlfriend, and we used to swim a long ways out from shore, and we used to swim all on natural because we could get a lot more speed. You mean on the half shell? <laughs> And while we were swimming one day, um, we had a surfboard with us, and one would hold the suits while the other practiced swimming, and we'd take turns. And I happened to look towards shore, and I saw the lifeguards setting out in their boat. So I got How many lifeguards were there coming out? Three. Three and only two girls? Well, that's Laguna for you. In Santa Monica, that'd have been seven. So anyway, well, there you are, naked in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Right. Uh, well, that I was the year I had to go to the mountain. <laughs> That's been the history of my life. I've always made the wrong move. Well, so. well they, they rode around a couple times and they left, and I finally had to laugh about it, too, although I wasn't laughing at the time. Well, let's get back to the cleaning business. Now, suppose I slink into your bathhouse with my moldy laundry. Uh, what's, what's the first thing that happens? Well, you uh, put your laundry in the machines, and then we give you a ticket. I'm only going 20 miles an hour. <laughs> Look, if I throw my laundry in your machine, the first thing that would happen is the machine would throw it right back. <laughs> when do I put in the soap? Oh, well, you don't put in the soap. We put in the soap uh, for you because... Oh, the... thank you. I'll put in my own soap. <laughs> Put in too much and get the machine frothing. The machine starts frothing? What do you do? Do you shoot it before it bites somebody? No, we turn it off in that case. All right, now my socks are happily splashing in your machine. Now what do I do? Do I have to rinse them out? Oh, no, our machine does everything. When machines start doing everything, that's when I start selling my Liberty Bar. self-service laundry. Let's see how well you two make out in the battle for the $1,000. Uh, you got to run your $20 into more than our other couples. I can't tell you how much the first couple won, but Fenneman is offstage to remind our listeners. The young couple about to be married won $80. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected friends and companions as your category. Fenneman, be here on time in the future, will you? <laughs> or you can turn in your uniform. Now, here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you try? Ten. Ten dollars. What was the name of Robinson Crusoe's companion? Friday. Friday is right. And they're on their way. They have $30, Remember, you're going for a thousand dollars tonight. Now you have thirty dollars. How much of the thirty will you risk? Thirty. Thirty. What was the name of John Alden's friend? 
Miles Standish. I was going to say they have sixty dollars. They have sixty dollars. All right, here's your third question. How much in the sixty? Thirty. Thirty dollars. All right. What was the name of Tom Sawyer's friend? Finn. Huckleberry Finn is right. All right, you got ninety dollars, and here's your last chance to beat the other couples. Now, how much will you bet? Oh, it's bet at all, shall we? <laughs> Make it easy. You, you're going to be clean anyhow in the laundromat. You might as well be clean. <laughs> Little John of Sherwood Forest was a friend and follower of what leader? Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Is Good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. I will soon know who gets the chance at the $1,000 question. Fenneman, yeah. come in here and tell us who's ahead so far. The couple who was just up here, the lady that runs the uh, automatic laundry, and the married man from the audience are ahead <laughs> with their $180. I see. Uh, secret word is still wall. Still wall. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, we went searching through the audience tonight for some people with unusual occupations. And just before we went on the air, we selected Mary Mitchell, and her partner is Mr. William Peeler. Folks, come on in here and meet Groucho Marx. Well, welcome, kids. Welcome for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. <laughs> and uh, if you say the secret word, you'll divide $100 between you. It's a common way, something you'll find around the house. Uh, Mary Mitchell, is that right? Curry. Mary Mitchell, right? And uh, William Peeler. Mrs. Mitchell, where, where are you from? Lebra, Missouri. Lebra, Missouri? That's right. What is the population of that town? 800. 800. Before huh? I left. <laughs> is that why you left, Mrs. Mitchell? Well, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> well, you may before the evening. Is over. Now, uh, Mr. Peeler, where, where are you from? I'm from Iowa. Now, you were chosen tonight because of your unusual occupations. Uh, Mrs. Mitchell, what is your occupation? I am associated with the Cat Care Club. A cat care club? Cat care club. Well, what is a cat care club? Well, we rescue cats and find homes for them. Do you give cats to anybody who asks for one? For example, could I have a cat? Well, you would have to qualify. You'd have to be investigated. I can't even get a skunk to live in my house. What do you mean? I've been investigated. How many cats do you have at the present time? Oh, about 150. Well, where do you get your cats? Oh, people phone from all over the country, all over the county, and even other counties. Just before I came down here, a woman called me and wanted me to take care of 35 cats. She started out with one cat, and now she has 30 cats. She's 35. She says she sees her mistake. But it's too late, so I must take the cats. Mrs. Mitchell, uh, biologically, that's not possible. You can't start off with one cat and then have 30 cats. Well, she did take You have take to start it. off with two cats. Well, in Not fact, much I know about cats. I, I know. She, uh, two stray cats came in uh, after she took the one cat, so she really started with three cats. Oh. Well, that's more like it, anyway. Now, what is your unusual occupation, Mr. Peeler? Well, I am a wood carver. I take a solid block of wood like this, and in five minutes and 23 seconds, 
I have a pair of pliers that'll open and shut like that. Are these pliers? I thought no, those were bow legs. And, well, they look like bow legs, but yeah, they're in a little pair of pliers. They're pliers, eh? Yes. You see, I... Well, that's very clever. ...made my glasses out of wood, and uh, my watch chain, that's made out of one solid block of wood, and it isn't put together, and you can't take it apart. Is this for me? Yes, that's for you. You oh, may keep that for a <laughs> Sell those for souvenirs. Oh, I think you sell them. Oh, well, yes. here, you better take it back. <laughs> I don't want to get involved in any finance with you. Right? All right. Now, where do, where do you do this whittling? Well, uh, in store windows and before Kiwanis clubs and Rotary clubs and Boy Scout groups mostly. Is that pretty good money in your business? Is it true you're always in the chips? Well, uh, I manage to. Uh, I make these uh, pliers. I sell them for a dollar apiece. Oh, let's see that. I've never seen one of those. Mm. Oh, it's very interesting. Is this for me? And, uh, yes, if you want it. Oh, you shouldn't have. Uh, I'm making enough of the whole... All the brothers ate enough. Huh? I'll have his watch before he leaves here. You say people pay a buck a piece for those wooden pliers? Why? Well, uh, you see, I throw in a $50 bill with each pair that I sell. Well, that's free. a pretty good come on, huh? I can see you have a very good head for business, Mr. Peeler. Have you had it examined lately? <laughs> now, tell me, Blockbuster, that's, that's because you're a woodcarver. Tell me, uh, how do you make money giving away $50 bills? Well, you see, I print my own money. That's uh, why I can do it. Well, that explains it, huh? <laughs> I'm relieved to know that you're not doing anything dishonest, Mr. Peeler. <laughs> now, as one counterfeiter to another, uh, why do you do it? Well, because, you see, we got a lot of colors in the rainbow, and we got a lot of different kinds of money, and all of the money we've ever had has always been green on the back. Well, one year, I want to print the $100 bills red, and the $50 bills blue, and the $20 bills brown, and then I want to come out over the microphone and say, all of you people, I've got a $100 bill that's red on the back, dated 1950. I'm going to call it in three weeks from tomorrow at a discount. Now, you go home and get that $50 bill or that $100 bill out from under the rug, and you go down and you buy that suit of clothes you've been looking at for the last six months, but you were too stingy to buy the suit of clothes because you thought more of the money than you did to the clothes. But if you hang on to the money, you're going to have to have, uh, pay a discount. So when you buy the suit of clothes, and the factory opens up and hires another guy, and we've got more prosperity than we've got now. And that's why I intend to eliminate all unemployment and all poverty in the state of California by just changing the money a little bit, making it different colors, and putting a date on it, and calling it in every once in a while. I used to think I talked a lot, huh? <laughs> Now, uh, Mr. Peeler, have you always been a whittler? No. No, I uh, have been in the real estate business, and uh, then I ran for Congress in 1935 you over did, in huh? the Valley. Yes. What happened when you ran for Congress? Well, uh, out of 150,000 votes, I only lacked 952, getting enough to go down to Congress, because you see, I didn't have quite enough money. My major opponent, uh, he spent $25,000, and I only had ten. But with that tin, I bought a little automobile and put loudspeaker horns on it and had a microphone in front of the wheel. And I'd go down the street and I'd say, uh, Peeler for the people. Peeler peels the peeling from the pension problem. He puts the plan plainly and paints pretty pictures of its possibilities. Please put this paper on uh, your piano and if you like him, put him in Congress. Plan to hear him tonight at the high school. Everybody come out. I'm surprised you got any votes. <laughs> Well, you've been an interesting couple, and we're happy to have you here. Now, we're going to play your bet your life. You beat our other two couples, and you get a chance at the $1,000. 
At the DeSoto Plymouth question, that's the $1,000 question. I can't tell you how much the other couple's won, but Fenneman's all going to remind our listeners. The woman from the self-service laundry and the married man are ahead with $180. (laughs) Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You select the famous rivers as your category. Now, here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you try? Half. Half? Is that all right with you, Mr. Peeler? What is the name of the river boundary between Texas and Mexico? Uh, the river boundary between... Uh, what is the river between Texas and Mexico? Oh, uh, yes, I know what that river is. Uh, well, uh, I don't know, and I wish you'd tell me. Huh? Between Texas and Mexico. Yeah, the Rio Grande. Rio Grande is right, huh? And we're on our way. Glock has $30. Yeah, you're going for $1,000 tonight. Now, how much of the $30 are you going to try? Half. Half? Is that all right with you, Mr. Peeler? Well, I guess so. All right. What is the name of the South American river with the largest volume of water in the world? Well, no, Amazon. The Amazon is right. <laughs> well, right now they have forty-five dollars. Here's your third question. How much of the forty-five will you try? What do you say? Oh, I wouldn't spare twenty, I guess. Twenty dollars. Twenty dollars. What is the name of the river that cuts through the Grand Canyon? Colorado. The Colorado is right. And now they have sixty-five dollars. Sixty-five dollars is your last chance to beat the other couples. Now, how much of the sixty-five? Let's shoot half of it anyway. You want two dollars? What he says, we'll I'd like to come out with a five dollar bill anyway. What do you care? You're going to print your own money anyhow. My name is Brooklyn, you see. I can't spend mine yet. All right, kids, come on. we got another show next Thursday. What are you going to do? Twenty dollars. Twenty dollars. Here's your All right, here we go. London Bridge crosses what English river? Oh, you know that. Now, don't get your own bridge uh, mix, mixed up in this, huh? The Thames is right, huh? $85. And that means the laundry lady and the married man with $180 get the chance of the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question. Your DeSoto Plymouth dealer handles two really great cars, the magnificent DeSoto and the beautiful Plymouth. DeSoto, with its graceful sweeping lines, is really a new concept in driving comfort. You'll thrill to DeSoto's featherlight steering. You'll enjoy DeSoto's new chair-high seats, and you'll be amazed at the huge rear window that greatly increases visibility. Yes, and there's even more to discover about the new DeSoto. It's an economical car to operate. No car in America has bigger brakes. It brings you a waterproof ignition. And, of course, DeSoto lets you drive without shifting. So drive a DeSoto before you decide. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. No matter where you are or where you drive, look for those two great names linked together, DeSoto, Plymouth. Well, here we are, the gal from the laundry and uh, the fly trap, eh? All right, here we go for $1,000. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you, so think carefully, and please no help in the audience. Here it is. Okay. Ready? What is the name of the city that has been the capital of Korea for more than 2,000 years? What is the answer you two have decided upon? Sewell. Sewell is right. 
had the right answer, so you won $1,000. What are you going to do with all that money? I can't like... You're going to buy a bathing suit and go back in that raft, huh? <laughs> oh, well, I think I'll kind of spread it around. I think... Well, spread some around me, will you? <laughs> I think it's fun if you can share it, and I can think of a few people that kind of need some. Well, that's, that's a good way to spend the money, yeah. Let's see, you win $1,000, and how much? Uh, $180 in the quiz. That's $1,180. You really cleaned up tonight. Congratulations. Oh. On the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast, you bet your life. You bet your life. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, when the big question will be worth $1,000. And don't miss Groucho's television show, also presented by the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And when you drive in, tell them Groucho sent you. Good night, folks, and remember, just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Folks, here's a tip from the National Safety Council about good highway habits. If your policy on the road is courtesy, you are always the beneficiary. You Bet Your Life is produced by John Goodell. Transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. This is George Fenman, signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. (laughs) 